Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship band. Thank you, family, for reading for us this morning. It's great to see you all. Hey, we have a our, our rock and roll star, um, the guy who plays lead guitar up here, Scott Robertson. He, he and his family, they decided they, they want to move to Arizona. I mean, come on. Really? So we're going to miss him deeply. He'll, he'll be here one more Sunday, but... Um, Thank you, Scott, for all you've done and how you've led us through many ups and downs and through the thick and the thin. I appreciate it, brother. I'm going to miss you. So we are thankful uh, for talent and giftedness, and so we are looking for a lead guitarist. So <laughs> Kevin, can you play? Uh, no, okay, uh, let's see. Uh, anybody else have that gift? Do you want to? I'm, I'm going to start calling you. We are so blessed. Hey, we continue our series on um, life on the vine, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And growing on the vine today is gentleness. Now, some of you know I, I love libraries. I, I, I just I love the opportunity to go and... and Walk through the stacks and see all the books. And then there's, you know, depending on the type of library, there's alcoves where you can find a place that's quiet and you can read, you can think, you can write. Such, so many resources in a library. And through my travels and my lifetime, I've been able to visit libraries throughout the world. And what a privilege it has been. I've been to large libraries, New York uh, Public Library. In Manhattan, it's an amazing place. I've been to a very old uh, libraries. The one in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. Uh, they believe, we can't be sure, but the author of Luke and Acts, um, the one who wrote the life and times of Jesus and the early church, used the library in Ephesus. Now, I visited it. There's no books there now, but there's you know, some ancient ruins there. But it was very famous back then. Historic libraries, the Library of Congress, great place. We have a, a, a library nearby in San Marino that has one of the uh, remaining copies of the Gutenberg Bible, the Bible that was printed, the first major book that was printed um, with a printing press. During my doctoral studies at Princeton Seminary, I was given access, I was given a library card to the famous uh, Firestone Library on Princeton University campus. What are the largest libraries? I, I got lost there so many times. It was awesome. I love libraries. I, I've even read books about libraries. There's a great book I recommend to read about uh, the Los Angeles Public Library when it caught on fire. I love libraries so much, I married a librarian. <laughs> I did. She's awesome. Most recently, a famous library was in the headlines, um, New York Public Library. They put an end to fines and fees. No such thing, uh, no such thing as an overdue book in their book anymore. They will no longer charge late fees and books on loan, and they will continue to waive fees and fines accrued from the past, no matter how far along ago it was. If you have an outstanding fine, uh, it's erased from their book of loan, right? 
the books you had checked out and somehow you lost on your watch or your dog ate them, you know. The librarian police are not coming after you. Even if you are a repeat offender, um, keeping books longer than their date stamped on the cover there, you're not going to be ushered out of the library if you go in, and you could even check out a new book. It's quite remarkable. Since it's the largest library system in the country and fourth largest in the world, 53 million items spread out in 92 locations throughout Manhattan, the Bronx, Staten Island. And in 2019, they collected $3.2 million in late fines and fees. I know, there's a lot of money. So why did they do it? They didn't want the $3.2 million? They didn't need that anymore? They understaffed? Did it be maybe a new reality because of a pandemic? It, no, actually it runs deeper than that. You see, before the decision to remove the fines and the fees, um, over 400,000 people were not able to access the library and the resources because they had a $15 um, owed $15 or more in lay fees. And the vast majority of those individuals were the underserved. Children in poor neighborhoods. They couldn't afford the fine. Low-income New Yorkers, many of them children, they had no, basic, no uh, access to these basic resources. So it was believed the fines and the fees were causing harm to those who needed the resource the most. Now, you're like... Pastor John, why are you giving us all this information about libraries? We know you love libraries already. Come on, calm down. <laughs> Hold on, stay with me here. The, the president of New York Public Library, he said this, the idea behind public library is that no one, regardless of background, circumstance, should have faced a barrier when it comes to learning, when it comes to reading. So it was time for moderation. Even though they had the legal right, according to their institutional rules, to block over half a million people from the library, they believed the rules had become burdensome and undercut their core values. By the way, New York Public Library was just copying Orange County. We did it before them. And in L.A., they did it after Orange, Orange County. We were the winners. And then... Finally, New York caught up a couple months later. It was a barrier to be removed. No one will be denied access. Ancient Greek philosophers had a term for this. A term to describe the act of holding back a legal right because it would not be kind or the moral thing to do. And you're going to be surprised by this term, as I was. The term is gentleness. It was a word these philosophers used to describe a person who held back an action that was in their legal right, but it was harmful, unjust, and unkind. Now, the New Testament writers, they use the word gentle, gentleness, throughout the scriptures, and sometimes it's rendered as kindness or meekness or sometimes patience, but when it comes to removing a barrier, allowing someone to access, breaking down the walls of inequity, lighting the load of a heavy burden, the sweet fruit of gentleness is employed. 
Jesus describes himself as gentle. It occurs just as after he's praying. Now, now the context in this situation is hard to be clear on, but it appears as if Jesus is praying in the middle of the night, and all of the disciples are asleep except the one who is writing the record, one who keeps the record according to Matthew. And when he's done praying, it appears as if he, when he's finished praying, it appears as if he's rehearsing something he's going to say in the morning, something he's going to teach in the temple courts. And this is what he says. It's a gentle invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and are carrying a heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another translation starts out like this. Are you having a real struggle? Come to me. Are you carrying a big load on your back? Come to me. I will give you rest. Pick up my yoke and put it on you. Take lessons from me. I will be gentle with you. The last thing in my heart is to give you a hard time. We're the Lord. Thanks be to God. If indeed Jesus was preparing to share this in the temple courts, the temple courts were the epicenter of the Jewish law and teaching. The Pharisees had spoken of people being called to carry the yoke of the Torah, the commandments, which is a heavy burden, the Jewish law and all its commandments. Those who studied the sacred texts, they would tease out the finer elements and it became this heavy burden. Jesus believed the institution, the religious institution of his day, had laid this heavy burden on the people, especially when it came to getting access to God. Access to God would only come if they you would follow this enormous, complicated institutional system, it was riddled with late fines and fees, and these would accumulate over time, and you would be denied access until you paid your dues. Jesus slices right through with one stroke in his teaching. The idea of gentleness. Hear it again. Come to me who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What is Jesus' yoke that he's talking about here? What is this burden that's light? Whatever it is, it's framed with a gentleness. He described it in parables. Parable of the lost son, prodigal father, right? The son takes off with half you know, the inheritance and he squanders it. Prodigal means lavish. Son comes back. The father had every right to look at his son and say, it's time to pay your dues for what you did. There's a fee. And don't expect a free pass from me. The father doesn't do that, does he? He runs to his son and embraces him, restores him fully. Father is gentle. 
He had every right, but he's not going to allow that to be a barrier to keep him from his son. That's how our Heavenly Father acts. Now, Jesus told stories, but he's not going to leave it there. He's also going to show in real time what this gentleness will look like and looks like. What gentleness looks like in real time. You see, in, day, in Jesus' days, infirmities, people with diseases, injuries, they were blind, had a disability. If they suffered, they were excluded. They had to stay outside. They were unclean. Unclean, they would say. There's a one story of a woman who had a flow of blood from her body for 12 years. She went to every doctor, spent her life savings in trying to find healing. And then she hears about Jesus, and Jesus is crowded and packed around him. And she reaches out in faith and touches his robe. And then suddenly, Jesus stops. He says, what's going on? Somebody touched me. And everybody's like, well, you know, everybody's pressing against you, Jesus. What's the problem here? No, somebody touched me. And the woman confesses. It was me. He says, this is an important piece. Your faith has healed you. But he says, daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. You heard daughter earlier. May you always know that you're a daughter of the king, restored to the family of God. She was outside. The barrier has been brought down. The gentleness of Jesus. He acts with gentleness to those whose very lives are in danger because of a legal right. There was a legal right to pick up a stone and hurl it at anybody who had committed adultery. Jesus says, hey, go ahead, cast the first stone if you are without sin. They all walk away. Let's go back to the library. These enormous library systems are reaching out with gentleness into sometimes an ungentle world. They suddenly erase these fees and fines, trusting in people to bring these books back. It sounds a lot like what Jesus is doing, trusting those. Go and sin no more. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. I'm gentle. I'll train you. I'll teach you. I'll guide you with gentleness. Maybe you have situations in your life, at work, at school, in family, in neighborhoods, that you have every right to hold a grudge, to be angry, to withhold forgiveness, even deny access. But deep down you know the trouble that it causes you. Jesus is calling us to be gentle, to share the life-giving fruit of gentleness with others, to restore people, to restore ourselves. Maybe you need to be gentle to yourself. Jesus came to restore and redeem, showing mercy and grace through gentleness. And we are given that great challenge as a community of faith. We're given that great challenge as a people to be gentle in an ungentle world. Jesus knew it wasn't going to be easy, though. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he gathered together with his disciples. 
And he brought together simple elements of a table to remind them of what he's about to do, that he's going to give his life that will break down a barrier, break down the walls, so that people can have access to God through his life and his death and his resurrection. So after he washes their feet, his friends, all of them, they sit down around the table. And then Jesus, he takes the bread and after giving thanks, he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, remember me. Friends, you can take your fellowship cup and, and take the top piece, or if you're at home, maybe a, a piece of bread, and let's partake in the bread of life. Amen. Amen. And at the end of the meal, he took the cup. He says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever you take this, whenever you drink this, remember me. So dear friends, as a sign of our unity, let's take the cup together. Friends, whenever we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we together proclaim the birth, the life, the death of our risen Lord until he comes again.